Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Yes, it's me again, Alex Williams-Smith, better known to many of you under my stage name, Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis. Anyway, enough about me. Once again, I'm delighted to be able to welcome to the show a guest of great standing in the industry. In particular, recently he's just been made the uh, director of UK and international havening. Uh, prior to that, he was already the certified havening trainer for Ireland. If you're watching this and you're thinking, what's havening? Don't worry, you're going to learn all about that during the next hour. Although some of you may have noticed, uh, you've Stephen around on the internet, I'd be surprised if you hadn't. Um, or you may have encountered havening through... Uh, three things that can change your life the book by Paul McKenna or maybe one of Paul McKenna's uh, television appearances because in recent times the thing he's really been uh, talking about raving about and deming has been havening so can we please welcome to the show all the way from Ireland Stephen Travers good day to you sir good day Alex and thank you for having me no worries now look Let's dive straight in. As I ask, there's a question I ask everyone at the beginning, a question I ask everyone at the end. What happens in the middle is unique and distinctive to where this just naturally flows. Well, to start with, you today, as we record this on the 3rd of February 2020, are the director of UK and International Havening. You are the certified havening trainer for Ireland. You are therefore kind of at the top of the pyramid, as it were, for this technique havening. You also do advertise the fact that you do hypnotherapy and hypnosis as well on your website, which is stravershypnosis.com. The link will be below the video. But at some point, you didn't do any of them. You were, like us all, normal, so to speak. What was your journey to get to where you are now? What led you to where you are? Well, I was always interested in psychology even as a as a teenager uh, in how the human mind worked and human behavior and i ended up working in my 20s in sales and marketing okay. i was very interested in the psychology behind sales and marketing so i was a sales trainer and a sales coach for companies like uh, esap british telecom in ireland mm -hmm. uh, sky uh, and national director inquiries so I did that for many years and I really enjoyed it. I was quite good at it. But I started developing anxiety and panic attacks myself. Okay. Uh, so I was at really at a point as well in my career where I wanted to change. So I knew a bit about psychotherapy, counseling, from my uh, interest in psychology, and I knew about hypnosis as well. And Can I ask, did, did, at the time you developed these anxiety attacks, did you did you consciously realise why? Was it like having to make deadlines, sales deadlines, or targets, or anything like that? When, when I look back, yes, I, I was very driven. I, I'm a, I would class myself as quite a driven person, and yeah, I was just working too hard, I was in my 20s, I was probably playing too hard as well and burning the candles at both ends. 
And one day when I was at doing a sales call, I had a full-blown panic attack in front of a, in front of a customer. Yeah. It really shocked me. I thought I was uh, dying. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that would be really pretty scary. You know, the normal things that happen with a panic attack. My heart, heart was palpitating. I started feeling dizzy. I was getting tingly feelings. I felt trapped. I felt this sense of impending doom. So it really scared me. And they ended up going to the doctor. Uh, and, yeah, the GP... You know, he diagnosed that it's anxiety, panic attacks, and he advised that I went to see a counsellor. But I didn't necessarily want to go in and talk about the anxiety uh, or go through weeks and months of counselling. Um, so I started looking at hypnosis. I knew a bit about hypnosis already, and especially NLP, because a lot of our sales training was using NLP. Yeah, they, they like the sensory systems, uh, VACOG, and all that kind of stuff. Yes, uh, the visual artery, kinesthetic, uh, hypnotic language patterns, and how to communicate with, with people in a more uh, persuasive way, because obviously that, that's what salespeople learn how to do, to communicate more effectively. And uh, I was already interested in... Uh, well, very interesting personal development and had an interest in hypnosis because I was using some self-help stuff on myself with CDs and audios. Okay. So I decided after doing some research that I would do a hypnotherapy training in Ireland and kill two birds with one stone by um, hopefully at the time I was hoping that hypnotherapy would help me resolve my own anxiety issue and find out what was really going on and causing it and uh, learn how to you know, use hypnosis as well in hypnotherapy. So how did that go for you then? Did it? It went, it went very well. However, at the beginning, I wasn't a great hypnotic subject. I was kind of that anxious. I was difficult to work with. So if I was sitting with a trainee therapist, I, I, I found it difficult to relax. Mm-hmm. I was quite um, hypervigilant and I was worried what the hypnotist or the trainee hypnotherapist would say or might put into my head. So that was my anxiety coming out. I, I was fearful that they might put a bad suggestion in. So. I found that using CDs, and that's when I started using, uh, it was actually one of Paul McKenna's CDs uh, I I started using, um, because he was bringing out tracks back then, that was in the the, uh, early, late 90s, early 2000s. So I found the CDs quite good, because once I listened to them once or twice, and I knew what suggestions were on them, I could then just let go with the CD. But when I was working with a live hypnotherapist, my brain was always like, well, what's coming next? But I I found then through the CDs and doing the training course, my anxiety and the panic attacks uh, stopped. uh, And I found that emotional equilibrium again. It it helped me heal, really. Mm. Cool. Um, which is interesting because Sigmund Freud or Sigmund Freud as more people probably recognise was famous for saying that therapists generally speaking are merely searching for an answer to their own problems or at least they are initially when they 
get into it. So it's interesting how many people I've interviewed who said that what led them into this industry was dealing with their own phobias, anxiety, stresses or whatever. So you've 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 got yourself sorted, you've become a qualified and I do that not to poo-poo the quite but there is no such thing as a recognized qualified bit of paper for hypnosis, certainly not in England or Europe. But you become a qualified as it is perceived to be a hypnotherapist and I guess you start seeing clients, did you then? Or yes, well, originally, like I, I did train under a guy. I don't know if you know him, uh, Doctor uh, Joseph Keeney, and I trained with the Institute of Clinical Hypnotherapy and Psychotherapy. Uh, in I've heard of him, yeah. yeah, so I, I do think, you know, there is warrant to qualifications, and I do think there are different standards in training. Um. But look, I appreciate your point that uh, I suppose the whole profession, therapy profession, is unregulated in the UK and Ireland. So is that that the point you're making about the... No, no, I'll just say, I always say when it comes to qualification, the simple fact is the piece of papers, it, it may as well be toilet tissue. It's only real worth is a placebo on the wall to convince clients that you've done some recognized training. And the truth is, in my experience, and I doubt there's anyone done more courses than me over the years. Can I make it a point if, if I'm going to criticize someone, I do it. Uh, if you can see in the diplomas folder on, on Facebook, I mean, literally, you name it, all these winky wanky boys clubs, general hypnotherapy, standards council, GHR, and uh, you name it, I've done them. And my experience is that there's people out there you've never heard of who are not regulated by these people who are far better therapists and trainers than a lot of the people who've paid out the thousands to buy into a glorified multi-level marketing scheme, which it is with things like NLP. And for that matter, it is with a lot of hypnotherapy training. Do your course now, pay us some more. You've done an advance. Pay us some more. Now you can be a trainer and go out there and start teaching people when you haven't actually done anything yourself in the real world. Um, that's why I say it's all one. But at the end of the day, all of that, that isn't me criticising the industry because the fact is, you know, even someone who's a crap trainer, if the student takes it on board and goes out and practices in the real world, the more they do, they start learning when they actually start treating clients, I think. They'll learn more from actually helping people than they ever will on any course. So, and if they get results for clients, what's it matter how they got them? Yeah, yeah. And I take your point about certificates on the wall. I don't know if you've ever looked at uh, Robert Cialadini's um, research. Robert Cialadini's uh, an expert on influence and persuasion. Mm. He's an academic Oh uh, yeah, the yeah. Sorry, I pronounce his name different. Robert Cialdini. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the persuasion book, the famous one. Yes, and the, his research shows that even if you're, you know, a, a medical doctor or any type of uh, health professional, if you put certificates on your wall, uh, clients tend to follow your instructions more. They're more compliant. 
So he's done re research on that. So it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. So that, I suppose, that placebo idea, which is really an, an authority uh, principle, uh, can uh, transfer to many industries and professions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's not just us. I mean, yeah. literally, it's pretty much every profession, I agree. Um, which is why I tend to say to people, and it's not just hypno-related, I tend to say just because they've got a bit of paper on the wall, doesn't necessarily mean they're good at what they're doing. Right. Um, it just means they had enough money to do that course. Because um, sadly, and it's not just the hypnotherapy and complementary alternative medicine industries. I've spoken to lawyers who say, yes, all right, you do have to do exams and memorize certain stuff and this, that, the other. But the manner in which it's done. There's a lot of them that may, shall we say, just pay people to do the coursework for them that gets submitted. Um, there's always a way around. Anyway, we're going off track slightly because my point is the bits of paper are not what matters. What matters is the technique or the, you, the therapist, and what you're actually doing. So you started treating people. What were you naturally drawn to? What were... What, what, what did you enjoy treating most with clients? Well, I started back in around 2004 to 2005. And, yeah, the, the, the Internet was only really starting to uh, come, on, come on board or come online. So I really started working more, mostly with stop smoking and weight loss at the time. Mm -hmm. It was one of the main things I did, simply because... For my business to function, that was the main, the most two popular niches at the time that people were actually going to see hypnotherapists for. And what I found over the last, uh, certainly over the last seven years, uh, that a lot of people now come to see hypnotherapists and therapists because of anxiety-related issues. Uh, so I found even when I was working with uh, smoking clients and especially weight loss ones as well, that was really anxiety or some sort of unresolved stress in their past was mm -hmm. part of their problem. Um, so I lovely trained through the hypnotherapy for the anxiety. So I ended up, even though they're coming in for smoking or weight loss, I was often working on the anxiety end of things and the stress end of things with them to help treat the symptom, be it overeating, overdrinking, uh, uh, smoking. Mm -hmm. So... I eventually then just moved into niching it more to the whole anxiety area and anxiety-based disorders. Well, that's cool because I think that's important what you just mentioned there about the smoking they came with, but that's really just a symptom uh, of something that's caused them, triggered them to want to smoke or use that as a smoke screen, as, the, as some people say. So you've got to find the root cause, not necessarily through regression approaches out there analytical hypnosis where they have people free associating until they have this cathartic moment of this is what caused it and i frankly call that mind rape and think that there's no need to book clients through that kind of trauma which i know to some degree you must be on a similar kind of thought pattern with that because from what I know about havening it's definitely not about having people relive things again and again and again and what I call mind raping I mean in fact it's quite the opposite isn't it 
Yes, uh, you're right. We we look at if you want to simplify it, there's the cause and the symptom. So the, the anxiety-based symptoms are really an expression uh, or a symptom of something else. So we do go looking for the root cause and we look for something called an encoding moment when that person got traumatized. And there's a lot of neuroscience and neurobiology behind havening. And what we do is we, we teach therapists or people or even our own clients how to pinpoint and identify what's causing the symptoms. Then we use, uh, there's a few, there's many different havening techniques, but there's something called event havening that we would use to clear the root cause trauma or the traumatic memory or the encoding moments. It's that event havening what Paul McKenna does on his disc DVD that he gives out with various of his books. Yes, that that that's event havening you're seeing there. So if you actually want to see it, in a, I'm sure on Stephen's YouTube channel, no doubt there's relevant videos i just mentioned paul because i've seen that video yeah. i know there will be ones of uh, Stephen as well if you want to see it in action if i'm right then if my memory serves me right I'm trying to show that i've done my research and study but i might be slightly wrong with this so you can correct me in a minute Stephen. you can tell me off give me give, give me give me red crosses for getting it wrong but roughly essentially what i recall uh seeing on the dvd was that um which was meant to be used by me at home or you at home was the idea that you're supposed to close your eyes take a few moments to get a sense and a feeling of that that bothered you in the past uh when it was it's kind of worse so that on the sub sensory units of distress distress scale you could give it a number so let's say it's 10 out of 10 it's really really bad that um, yeah. the thoughts memories emotions and links to it and then um, you would hug yourself, literally arms like so, um, and gently, my hand, I'm trying to move to the side, gently rubbing up and down the side of the body on both sides, at the, but at the same time. And whilst doing that in that sort of strange, and it is quite disorientating, which in itself is quite hypnotic, uh, I have to stop. I have to stop you there, Alex. Well, that's, that's not the way we do it. It's the way. Well, it's not. It's what Paul's doing on that bloody DVD. <laughs> it is. He's hugging and he's doing that, rubbing up and down the side there. The havening. Uh, can I do a, a quick demo? Yeah, go on. Please. Top of the shoulder down to your elbow down to your elbow so you're not rubbing anywhere on all your right well that's more right right yeah, it's look i said yeah you know what they both work um <laughs> yeah. it worked for me i was probably doing it wrong when i was watching the uh, mirror image on the dvd but you're right you've got that rubbing element then uh it was in the order of bls and i remember that as big load of shit and that's not being derogatory just I find everything to do with mind therapy traces back to shit. And I don't mean it doesn't work. I just mean as a memory aid, it's amazingly easy. Because BLS, big load of shit, BLS, beach lawn stairs. And in order, he had us, uh, as we're doing the rubbing, 
first of all, it's going to count from one to ten, and we're walking along a beach, and we're looking forward, and we're going to go right, left, right, left with the old eyeballs. Yeah. As counting one to ten and rubbing. And then it's essentially, I suppose you would call in NLP break state slightly because you kind of stop doing that for a moment. And then it's the same thing done again, the rubbing with the eye movements, left to right, counting one to ten, imagining walking across a, 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 a morning lawn with dew on the grass. And then it was the same thing again after breaking state with going uh, down a, uh, a set of stairs. Um, certainly is on the DVD, hence Beach Lawn Stairs. I remember it as Big Lord of Shit. And just to clarify before Stephen tells me what bits I've missed out, and just to illustrate that I'm not like poo-pooing, excuse the pun. The, this will become relevant in a minute, but there's different brainwave states, beta, alpha, theta, delta, and I remember the order of them as BAT, bat, and then D for dung, bat dung, bat shit. So I easily remember the order, beta, alpha, theta, delta. Also in the human givens approach, which I think is very relevant to Havening, they talk about either taming your ape, the wild animals got to be tamed, so the wild animals, the problem, the anxiety or whatever, and you've got to tame it so it doesn't bother you the way it did, or you've got to turn it into a pet. Both of those, ape tamed is A-T, or a pet, A-P-E-T. Animals do a lot of shitting. Easy way to remember it. So A-PET, which stands for activating agent, the trigger, which pattern matches in the brain and goes, oh, yeah, this seems something like my memory of that, and that's where panic can set in because, like rape victims, if they see somebody with the same kind of haircut as the assailant, they can pattern match and immediately start having the PTSD reaction, even though logically it's not that person, but the pattern match is there, which immediately creates the emotion, in this case, fear or anxiety, and that immediately creates a thought. The thought creates the action. The action is to be scared, want to run away, fight or flight. And if you can change the activating agent, um, or rather take the activating agent so that when it is seen, heard, felt, experienced, the pattern matching, the image becomes something different that has no negative connotations whatsoever, then the emotion is no longer going to be negative, it's going to be positive, which means the thought that's created is going to be the opposite of that that bothered them in the past, which means the end result is they no longer have the issue. That's how all the using shit as a memory aid links together before Stephen corrects me on the bits I've missed out there. The only bit to say is that at the end, after the beach, lawn and stairs, on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being no issue whatsoever, 10 up there, the worst it ever was, you said before it was a number 10, a number 9 or whatever, how much lower down is it now? And if need be, the cycle uh, is done again until the number comes down. Well, at least that's on, on the DVD is how Paul butts it across. He does point out, obviously, if I was with you in person, this could be even more effective. But, I mean, what have I missed out there? Well, what you what you see on YouTube with some of the videos is the mechanics mm -hmm. of Havening. Like, Dr. Rudin 
sometimes says this isn't happening. And what he means by that is it's knowing what to aim the happening techniques or treatment at. I'll give you an example. Please uh, do, yeah, yeah. I was doing a talk in Dublin the other evening uh, for a meetup group about anxiety and stress. And I did a live demo of event happening, the techniques you see Paul do and myself online do YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Now the fear was for uh, fear of the dentist. It was a severe fear a lady had for over 20 years. Now, the trick with getting great results with havening is knowing what to aim it at. If you aim it just at the symptoms, it, you, 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 you can still get results, but they, they tend to be a little bit hit and miss. To get really great results to completely clear or resolve an anxiety-based issue, you want to find the root cause of what's causing the symptoms. So the lady's issue was fear, severe fear of the dentist. When I asked her about it, she talked about gagging. And she had memories of when she was in school as a child, uh, fearing the school dentist. But she kept talking about this gagging issue uh, when she tried to go to the dentist. So I did a bit more of a history with her. And I asked her, was there a memory or a time when she felt she couldn't breathe or she gagged? And she said that she couldn't remember any per se. I did did a bit more investigating on it. I said to her, look, think about anything even unrelated to the dentist. Doesn't it have even got to do with the dentist? And And then she suddenly remembered that she was getting her braces in when she was around 11 years of age. And she had to get a mold put into her mat oh, yeah. and she started choking and she felt like she was suffocating and she couldn't breathe. Okay. Mm-hmm. That gave me the clue. So I asked her then just to think of that memory because I wanted to check if the SUD score was high, if she was traumatized by that event. She said, even as she started talking about it, she was feeling nervous and anxious. She was actually at a nine on the scale of zero to 10. So with the Havening demo, I didn't work on the dent- any dentist memories. I worked on that memory, the memory of the braces when she was 11, getting the mold in her mat. She was at a nine on the scale. She dropped down from a nine to a five after one round. After another round, she went to a one, then to a zero. When we debriefed it, the dentist issue was completely resolved. She actually left me a testimonial there the other the other day. We only did it a week ago. If you don't know what to aim the havening treatment at, you could be havening memories on the dentist or stuff around the dentist and completely missing the encoding moment. Mm-hmm. Was that event? And you could people could spend session after session be it havening or doing any other type of therapies, trying to resolve the dental phobia, but it's not really, the dental phobia, again, it's just a symptom of that traumatic experience uh, of getting the braces in. So when we train uh, people in havening, this, this is part of what we're teaching them, how to pinpoint and identify 
the encoding moments, the root cause traumas that are causing the symptoms. And that's the difference that makes the difference to be highly effective when it comes to using Havening. Um, so obviously when we put a video online, be like Paul McKenna's video, for, and you have to remember that's also in the context of, of a book. So ideally it's always good to read the book before doing the, the treatment to get best mm -hmm. results. But it's knowing what to aim the treatment at. That's that's the key to getting great results with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, it, make, it makes total sense. Yeah. And, it, and in fairness, in truth, that is arguably the key to any element of hypnotherapy, whatever name it's been given and whatever the pros, process is. If, if you want long-term results, I would argue that's, the key i mean a lot of approaches don't uh arguably they just deal with the symptom and lead people open to symptom substitution somewhere down the line where it manifests itself somewhere else so i couldn't agree with you more that of course that's um important just some of these are devil's advocate questions to answer people's uh things at home which this next one is as well okay because um on the stuff that's out there about havening it says that uh, it, it's doing a combination of hemisync, synchronizing the left and right side of the brains, which is bullshit because the truth is there is the, the idea of left and right sides of the brain is nothing but a construct used by psychiatry and psychology. And the truth is, even the people who constructed that openly state they don't know. Nobody genuinely knows how the brain works. And this idea of CAT scans, brain scans, saying that different areas are activated, again, is bullshit because the machinery is fundamentally flawed uh, in itself. And the nature in which it's used fundamentally flaws it because the person having the scans done knows they're having them done. It's impossible from a legal standpoint to do them without the person knowing they're being done. Thus, things like the um, Hawthorne effect can kick in because they know they're being observed for a purpose and therefore you can naturally be kicking in the same kind of responses that you would through any placebo uh, because just because of the context, it's impossible to do clinical studies that rule, rule that out, sadly. So... Apparently, it's about synchronizing both sides of the brain. And yet, conventional, genuine, non, non-complementary, alternative medical fact-based stuff out there shows that essentially that's probably bollocks. Um, it's to clear the amygdala. It's amygdala depotentiation. Now. There is some evidence out there that unfinished things like nested loop. If someone tells you a story, doesn't tell you the end of it, you, you're wanting to know what the end is. And then they start telling you another and don't tell you the end of that and so on, which they do in NLP training. So some people watching will know. And then Richard Bandler is a master at it. I'll go back. He'll finish off that one. And then they start finishing them off. So you start getting this sense of relief. So when the last one's finished off, you feel like, ecstatically a wonderful sense of relief and you feel you've had a great speaker and you 
there is an argument and, and there is some evidence that when something's left unfinished, whether it's a story that's not been finished, a job that's been left unfinished, or a trauma that's not been resolved, that the amygdala increases in size and that using certain processes, and arguably havening is proving itself to be one of them, that it is helping to release that effectively blockage from the amygdala so it can then go off and be, you know, just disappear off with normal things that don't need to bother the person anymore. That's kind of the theory, but as I say, in terms of the hemisync thing, nobody really knows what the brain's about. It's all just a construct, isn't it, really? If we're well, talking well, truth. Yeah, well, the hemisync thing has nothing got to do with happening. Somebody needs to update the bloody Wikipedia page then. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's nothing got to do with happening. Happening is r- really about the neurobiology of sensory touch. That's it. Go on, uh, go, I went on the Wikipedia page this morning for a final mental refresh. Yeah. <laughs> it's mentioned right in the first couple of paragraphs. Somebody needs to update the page then. Yeah. Right, go on, tell me what it is then. Let's okay. have the right facts. Okay, if we want to look at the neurobiology office, when someone has a traumatic experience, a few different things happen. We explain a lot of this in the training, but I'm going to give you the short version. Essentially, they're going to feel a sense of inescapable stress. They're going to feel trapped and they're going to feel emotionally, um, obviously, very distressed. Now, when that happens, uh, there's electrical chemical changes in the brain. Uh, The brain can go up to 100 to 200 hertz per cycle per second. Uh, Neuropinephrine, cortisol, adrenaline increase and something called amporeceptors. You think of my hand as a neuron. These amporeceptors get locked on. It's called phosphorylation. Get locked on to neurons in the lateral amygdala. Now, as you're having that distressing uh, experience, those amporeceptors are downloading everything that you're visually seeing, hearing, smelling, and emotionally and physically feeling. So the autonomic the somatosensory, the cognitive, and the autonomic reactions you're feeling, heart palpitating, sweating, stomach churning, fear, uh, anger, feeling trapped, all that's getting encoded in the amygdala through those receptors. So think of it like the broadband and all all the sensory data is getting encoded. Mm -hmm. So the event's over. But those amporeceptors are still there and they sit inside uh, the neurons in the lateral amygdala. Now, if something reminds you of that event, by even thinking of it, uh, you could be watching television and there could be a show or, or, or a movie about something that reminds you of that memory, it has the potential to fire those amporeceptors off again. Once they fire, they start releasing cortisol and adrenaline into the system um, and to create that fight, flight or freeze response. These receptors are at the cause of most anxiety based disorders and symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the phobia that they are the negative association. So with havening, for example, with that lady I worked with, with the gagging around the dentist, those amper receptors were encoded, 
from the from the gagging with the braces. When she was going to the dentist, the overlap was there, cotton in your mouth, opening up your mouth, and it was firing. So when we're having someone and we ask them to think of the traumatic memory, what's happening in the brain is the amphoreceptors fire. And there's something called a phosphate molecule that's holding them stuck there. When they fire, they are activated for about seven minutes. So we have a seven minute window. And this is from thousands of clinical observations. When we start using havening touch on the arms, the face and the hands, it's producing something called a delta wave or delta waves in the brain, which read at about 0.5 to 2 hertz per cycle per second. What is the proof for that? Can I just recap? Bat dung. Beta, alpha, theta, delta. Beta, generally speaking, is when somebody's wide awake and alert. Alpha is pretty much aligned with daydreaming. So, yes. Okay. Theta is stereotypically hypnosis or the hypnotic state or roughly light, light sleep state. Just going into delta is classified. and I, now I am playing devil's advocate because I said the brain wave patterns. Uh, there's enough evidence out. That there's people who use this evidence and say they're real, but there's evidence that they're fundamentally flawed. Anyway, that said, if we go off conventional science, okay, then delta is real sleep. You're a proper at sleep at night uh, brain wave pattern. So how? With you know you, you, you're saying delta definitely, but this havening is done eyes open without any conventional hypnotic induction process, um, which would generally be required to get to theta, which is hypnosis. What what's the evidence that delta just by what touching yourself? Yeah, well there was research done by uh, a neuroscientific researcher called Mel Harper. Uh, where he hooked people up the EEG machines and electrodes and they checked sensory touch. They were they, they did different parts of the body, the back of the hand, uh, the knee, obviously the face, the, mm-hmm. the arms, uh, and different parts of the body. And they found that the that there's an amp, it's an amplitude of delta waves, an increase of delta waves from resting state. And what Mel Harper found... Ah, now like that sentence, right. Let's pick up on that. So it's an increase in them, but you're not actually saying, or at least you didn't in that sentence then, you did, you're not saying that they go into a proportionally different brainwave state that would be identified as being mainly delta and therefore... Yeah, you're, you're saying that you're increasing the level. Yeah, from resting state, from sitting here normally... When I start doing this, there's about 20 times more amplitude of delta waves from resting state. So you're increasing the amplitude of delta waves in the brain. And that's what helps us feel more calm and relaxed. So an increase, an increase. I can accept that increase. It just it sounded like uh, and looked like uh, from what I've seen on that, that. there's a claim that doing this is going to put you into a delta brainwave state and uh, I, I honestly couldn't see how the frigging hell that could be justified 
So when we look at the neurobiology of sensory touch, you're increasing the you're, well, you're changing the electrical state of the brain by an increase mm -hmm. in delta wave. When there's also an electrical change, there's a chemical change. The serotonin, oxytocin, and GABA also increase through sensory touch. Right. Well, I was going to come to that next. So great that you went into it. The truth is, Law, that that's not anything. No, that's not to poop it. Of course, it's incredibly special. There's nothing more special than um, human touch, hugging someone you love. Not, I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm just contextually talking about this. Yeah, I've seen stuff on the internet where we go, yes, well, the proof that Havening works is because these studies show that there's an increase in oxytocin and serotonin and stuff. Well, without any talking about the beach, lawn and stairs, without any eyes moving from left to right, without any of that, just whether it's rubbing like that movement, which is more like it, or whether it's like I was doing it wrong, but still a bit over-enthusiastic, that arguably is because you're not something you normally do, but hugging yourself effectively, that's what you're doing, giving yourself all. It could be argued that you are, uh, because it's a weird thing to do, Consciously, it's disorientating and confusing. So therefore, arguably, it will bypass the critical faculty area of the brain. So therefore, is having an immediate unconscious subconscious effect. Uh, the unconscious, as we know, or at least some evidence suggests, doesn't know the difference between imagined or reality. So would likely confuse this as being someone else hugging you that you trust because you're obviously when you're hugging yourself, you're not going to be panicking. And that when we are hugged, we naturally do produce more serotonin and oxytocin. Um, so some could argue that this alone, forget any of the other elements of that event evening, is genuinely going to produce serotonin and oxytocin. Yes. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. And in that genuine moment that there is a chemical increase of those feel-good chemicals, all you're really doing as the therapist is doing an important seeming ritualistic process that they are going to feel good about because there has been a genuine chemical release that becomes anchored to whatever ritual and therefore is more likely to make them feel better. Well, what you're saying is parts of it are correct, but just to go back to... It's, it's about precision. Like we know, of course, yeah, when people hug each other um, and yeah, rub each other or hold each other, that, that we feel better. That's why we do it. As long we, as it's not some horrible, smelly pervert. If it's someone you trust, <laughs> then it's going to make you feel good. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm saying. Like, Havening is about the neurobiology of sensory touch, what, what we're talking about, those chemical changes in the brain. So when we fire these amp receptors off, the, the delta waves, the increase of delta are, go, so are going into the neurons. Like th there's a lot of detail with this. I just want to kind of summarize it so people can understand, understand it uh, like more, I suppose, simplistically without going into, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of detail here. But anyway, the delta waves go into the neurons with the amp receptors, okay? When they enter 
the neurons, they create a chemical called calcineurin inside the neurons with these amphoreceptors. The calcineurin dephosphorylates something called a phosphate molecule off the receptors that's holding them stuck there. When that happens, those receptors start to disappear back into the neurons and they're delinked, they're cleared. Mm -hmm. So when so when you do so when you then do your SUD score at the end and someone's at a zero, they're now gone. So when someone closes their eyes and thinks of the memory, they can't process it the same way anymore. It's called amygdala depotentiation. So the cognitive components, the somatosensory, the uh, autonomic uh, components, and the emotional are all completely gone. That's why it delinks the emotion uh, from the, the thought, the memory. That's why people can't access the feeling anymore. It's cleared, it's removed. The amygdala can't fire anymore. It's like pulling a plug. There's no, it's synaptic depotentiation. There's no electrical charge now going anymore to the to the nervous system because the amphoreceptors are gone. It's it's been delinked. It's clear they can't fire anymore. So when someone then again sees something that reminds them of the trauma or the phobia or the panic attacks, it doesn't activate the anxiety reaction anymore because the amphoreceptors are now gone. Mm -hmm. So when the amygdala sees, sees something, so that girl goes back to the dentist, uh, she's going to be fine because there's no amphoreceptors to fire it off uh, from that memory of the gagging. It's now, it's now clear. We've actually changed the uh, electrical chemical landscape of our brain. And the reason healing works so quickly is because we're working at that electrical chemical level. Even Dr. Rudin calls it uh, electroceuticals which is a interesting way of putting it. Um, so that's, a, I suppose, a summary of how trauma is getting coded and how we can de-encode them with havening. And that's, that's how event havening works. There are different techniques, but that's essentially how uh, we use event havening to get seemingly remarkable. The fact is it works, okay. Right. There's no doubt I've seen stuff and I am aware of people who've had it done on themselves. And the simple fact is I'm categor I'm saying this categorically to viewers before I play the next devil's advocate bit. I know for a fact that this works for the people that take it seriously and do what they're told to do. But that's the same with any process, any therapy. Someone gets forced to go along to see a therapist and they don't do it properly and they're not really ready for change, then it's unlikely to work for them. But that's the same for any, any protocol, any modality, any, you know. So just to play devil's advocate, SUDS. It's always used in a lot of therapies, whether it's tapping therapies or, you know, beforehand on a scale of zero. I'm going to try and do this and I've got to try and keep central in my little picture here. Otherwise, when it splits us in half, people won't see my hands. And then what I'm trying to explain won't make any bloody sense. So I wouldn't normally be in such a weird position if I was talking to a client. You're going to I'm going to try and fit in this here, but effectively. Okay, just close your eyes. Take a few moments to get a sense or a feeling 
of how it was when it was its worst in the past. Uh, as long as you watch it as an observer, just give us a blah, whatever bullshit you say. Okay, now open your eyes. Now on a scale of zero to 10, zero down here, nothing. And all the way up here is 10, the worst it ever was in the past. And it used to really bother you, like pulling your hair out really, really, oh, terribly bad. Where up that scale right now would you say the number is? How high up is it? And they say a number, whatever. Seven, eight, nine, ten. They, they, they give a number. Whatever number they say, obviously, is right for them because that's what they believe to be true. You do whatever seeming important, you know, a ritualistic important seeming process in the middle, whether it's tapping spectacles, testicles, wallet, watch, whether it's flipping, you're hypnotized, whether it's imagine the color shape of it, change the texture of it, the modality changing NLP, or whether it's hugging yourself, moving your eyes to the side, whether it's getting a torch, EMDR, and going, look at the light, don't matter. Something happens in the middle which frankly is just to kill some time and give them something to believe in, some important seeming ritualistic process. And at the end, they open their eyes, so they're out of that if it's hypnosis or the break state, and then you say, try, which is MLQA's law of reversed effort, suggesting that they're not going to be able to as well, is inbuilt there, but try to get a sense of a feeling as it was in the past and just notice how different it is right now. Give them a few seconds and then immediately come in with, so... On a scale of zero to ten, ten up here being the worst it ever was in the past, like pulling your hair out, feeling almost suicidal, the worst thing ever it could be up there, down here being zero, gone completely, where right now do you find that number is? And if you watch that back, so I don't have to explain it all, if you do it the way I've just done, which a lot of NLP trainers don't teach to do it that way, but if you watch them when they're doing their stage demonstrations, especially Richard Bandler, he does do that. Now, I overemphasized it there, so it wasn't subtle at all. But the first time around, zero down here, 10 up there. How high up the scale is it? Second time around, how low is it? Zero down here, gone completely, embedded command, it's gone. The bit in the middle doesn't matter. If you use the sudge trick like that properly, they're going to say a lower number they're obliged to the moment they say a lower number they consciously go wow it's a different number something must have changed which has bypassed any critical faculty resistance because they've just said to themselves and believe the numbers changed they can't question it because they've said it and the moment they realize the numbers changed they have to accept something's changed and in that moment that second that instant they believe something's changed at a conscious and unconscious hemi-sync, if you want to use fancy words, on all levels, then in that moment their reality has changed. And anything else sorts itself out. It could be argued. Well, it could be argued, and some you know, different approaches might work that way, uh, and different therapists might use different I'm, types. I'm arguing this works that way. There's always suds done at the beginning and at the end. And if you watch the Paul McKenna DVD, there is the non-verbals of this time round, your number's going to be lower. Or at the start, it's higher, which helps ramp up the pain so you get a higher number. So even if there wasn't really a genuine change happening, the number's going to, because of the emphasis non-verbally, be lower anyway, because you ramped it up to start with. But because they perceive it as the number's gone lower, in that moment, they say to themselves, bloody hell, 
there's been a genuine change. And the moment they say that and believe it in every fibre of their body, then it becomes their reality. I appreciate why you might think that or, or view it that way. Uh, well, what's interesting when you actually look at the history of Havening, it all started back in uh, 2001 with Paul McKenna and Dr. Rudin walking through Central Park and Paul talking to Dr. Rudin about tapping TFT. Yeah, he was big soul therapy at the time. Yeah, Paul yeah. trained with, with Roger, Dr. Roger Callahan, the creator of T TFT, and uh, Paul used to use it quite a bit uh, back in the day. So, uh, and yeah, so Paul then was talking to Dr. Rudin about this. Uh, Dr. Rudin didn't really know anything about tapping per, per se, mm -hmm. and uh, Dr. Rudin started getting curious about, well, why would tapping work and why does even EMDR work? And Dr. Rudin went off and did 10 years research on this. You also have to look at where this is coming from. Like the creators of Havening, Dr. Ron and Stephen Rudin, like if you look at Dr. Ron Rudin, he's a Harvard University academic, uh, uh, Alex. He's got the largest private medical practice in New York City. Uh, and he's a neuroscientific researcher and he's wrote, you know, a couple of books and it's been published in various scientific journals. So he comes with pretty high credentials uh, and neuroscientific background. And with respect, he probably understands a lot of this more than, than, than you or me. But what, what I beg to disagree I, I, there. It doesn't mean it just because he's good from that medical side doesn't mean he has a clue about verbal suggestion, nonverbal suggestion, waking hypnosis, all of which are massively a part of hating, tapping the bloody lot of them. Because you can't remove the fact the placebo effect is the biggest part of conventional medicine. So let's not even let's not yeah, make no, it sound like I'm. I agree there are, of course, elements of that, but um, like we know with EMDR, when you do the lateral eye movement from Dr. Rudin's work, that that's actually producing delta waves in the brain when you move your eyes from left to right, from left to right. It's creating delta. That's why you move, get them to move up, down, up, down instead of left to right. Well, we, we don't use that approach in Havening. Well, surely you, you tested it. We, we you don't do test all things, you find out what's most effective. So if left to right is what gets the delta, surely at some point well, we know you that test it up and down to see what the difference is. Moving eyes higher produces uh, more alpha. Moving them more laterally at an even level produces more delta. Well, I was more interested in more, um, you know, as opposed to going left to right, horizontally, going vertically. Yeah, vertically is the word, isn't it? Up and down, anyway. Up and down. What difference that would make to the process? Well, there is an element of distraction when you're doing eye movements, eye movements as well. You're distracting people. You're taking them away from the memory or the, or the negative. Remember we talked about the SUD, then suddenly they're moving eyes this way, that way, even tapping you're moving your eyes 360 degree clockwise. The I completely agree. There's an element of distraction in them all. Yeah. Yes. So um, with, once again, the, the, the neuroscientific theory behind havening with the distraction, when we do the event havening, we start the sensory touch. But we also then imagine them 
imagine uh, the person to walk on the beach or through a park, sing Jingle Bells, Happy Birthday. The idea behind the distraction is, is that it displaces the trauma out of the working memory. And it's also in that moment when you're reliving it, it's tricking the brain to a degree by bringing you back to the trauma and reliving it and feeling it, but then it's giving you, giving you an escape as well in that moment. Mm -hmm. So that's the other side of what makes it work. And with the sensory touch as well, it's bringing you to a safe place. Now, the sensory touch part, arguably, I would argue, is one of the most powerful elements uh, of Havening, other than the placebo effect. Um, because, the, it's, well, it's a whole therapeutic thing in conventional hospitals and care homes. There are pe people get starved of touch, especially, you know. Yes. And that itself, as we said, does genuinely release. There are genuine chemical changes in the body that are not placebo. They are genuine because they're already yeah. physiologically linked there. So even if it is just jumping on them and anchoring those good feelings to the suggestion of an important process, it frankly doesn't really matter, viewers. The point is it works. And this is me just trying to balance out the fact that I've been playing devil's advocate for a while. The point is it works. And if you go on Stephen's YouTube channel and watch the videos, you will see people who are either A, incredibly good actors and actresses. They're not. I'm just saying that there's only two options here, that either A, they're incredibly good actors and actresses, or B, a dramatic, emotional... Um, change takes place in a very short period of time using one or more of the havening processes okay it has to be one of those two and trust me i'm more inclined to go on the the that they genuinely truly believe they've had a change and therefore they have had simple as so all this devil's advocate stuff about placebo suggestion it's important to look at, I think, as therapists, because I think the more you understand that maybe your nonverbal suggestion of the fact that you pointed down visually lower the second time on suds could help them give you a lower number than they were going to do. So you don't have to do as many rounds or cycles. Um, so that, albeit it might only save you a minute or two, but still that might be a minute or two that, quicker for the client to get to the feeling that they consider to be appropriate to leave it at but the fact is it works if it didn't there wouldn't be the people who've had changes that you'll see on what is your youtube channel for people watching by the way uh, well if you go to my website stravershypnosis.com which is uh, the link that's here yeah they can click on the youtube icon there there's videos there of self-havening there's videos from my training where you see me do live demos. There's one with a fear of flying. A lady, she's actually a psychotherapist. Very severe fear of flying. She'd done various psychotherapy, counselling, uh, meditation to help resolve it over the years. It, it, it didn't resolve it. She still had the anxiety. And within uh, seven minutes of the event happening, uh, the fear of the flying completely resolved. Her testimonial as well is on my uh, YouTube listing in Ireland. Um, 
That's the thing. Results count. As I, you know, I do play devil's advocate in these interviews. Uh, although quite often, a lot of the playing devil's advocate is genuinely my beliefs and experiences. But the simple fact is, if it works and helps the client, does it matter how the job's getting done as long as you're not physically, emotionally, or psychologically or spiritually damaging them in any way? Which you're not with this. Simply yeah. Well, I, I would certainly say from my experience uh, and from working with clients, havening is not a placebo because when I get clients coming in into me, I remember especially at the beginning, going back seven, eight years ago, Alex, when I started using havening, because I was primarily using NLP, hypnotherapy, anchoring techniques, mass mm-hmm. phobia cure, a lot of what were already both we've already trained in many years ago and I remember like you know even to myself thinking god I'm gonna have to stroke someone's arm tell someone to work on a traumatic memory and ask them to stroke their arms and sing happy birthday this is a bit crazy you know it's a bit bizarre and even to this day when clients come into me and I explain a little bit about having and what we're going to do to treat a phobia or their panic attacks. There's very little placebo in the sense people are just they're skeptical, they're cynical, they don't believe it. They think it sounds bizarre and they're more or less like, well, okay. So, I'll sure that, oh, but so it, if you actually study the placebo law, that state of mind is more likely to make the placebo work and heighten it. Because the more ridiculous the important seeming ritualistic process is, which is why with so-called tapping, I take the piss and do it as spectacles, hit just below the belly button, remember it's testicles, wallet watch, can't believe I'm saying this and I'm getting paid for it, it must be my birthday. (laughs) And I do that three times, never fails because of the sludge trick that I explained before. Um, well, I've used tapping. I'm I'm certified in EFT and TFT, and so I've seen. And it's I've seen, It's placebo. Yeah, but I, but I've seen it. Well, that's that's once again, many people would dispute that. But it works. It doesn't matter. But, you know, <laughs> I you know, it it is. Um, but it works. And in terms of learning, the simple fact is there's different placebos, different ways of getting there. Stephen will, you know, disagree with that part, probably. But even so, even though I'm saying that, I would still say it's good to know different ways of getting there because not everything works 100% of the time with 100% of the people. Uh, Not straight away. It might do on a different day if they're in a different state of mind. So sometimes you might need a different route to get there. So the more different ways you can learn, the better, which is why I would say go to eshtravershypnosis.com. Link will be directly below this video. If you're that lazy, you don't want to type it in, you can just click on it, go straight there. Definitely click on the YouTube logo, go and watch some of the videos. Uh, See for yourself um, without my cynical, sometimes tongue-in-cheek, sometimes serious uh devil's advocate comments watch the things and see if you say look with some of them whatever you think it is or why ever you think it works you can't take away the fact that you can see in somebody's face them go from 
having had years of trauma or, or negativity in a certain area to feeling as though a massive weight's been lifted off the shoulders and you can see it and you can see a genuine there's a difference in their face an actor couldn't act it that well quite simply this, something has genuinely happened to them and clearly when you're watching those videos there's something that's happened to them was whatever the underlying thing is was havening because they'll be the videos that you're watching um so with that in mind, we're getting close to the end. I want to ask you the question I ask everybody. And thank you, Stephen. You were so, 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 do you know what? I have so much respect for the people who've been on Hypnosis Week so far. When this goes out, which is going to go out actually later today, I'm going to put it out, that will be edition number 28. And the 28 people who've been interviewed so far, well, gone out, including yourself when it goes out today and the, the people have been interviewed that are going out over coming weeks I have so much respect for because you knew full well that I'm going to ask the purposely awkward questions that most people probably wouldn't do. And I genuinely believe that someone who believes truly in what they teach and do, you know if they truly believe it, if they're prepared to answer the awkward questions. There's a lot of people out there low trained certain things that wouldn't dare but then well i'm not going to mention names because it was private emails i'm not allowed to gdpr but there are some people i've approached and their answer has been uh no i'm, I'm not setting myself up to be asked this that the other accused of this this that the other well you know what any little bit of respect i might have had for those people gone you mustn't believe in what you're doing enough i have so much respect for you Stephen, and everyone else who's been on this show because not only have you been prepared to accept the awkward questions, but you brought up a bloody good argument and a very good logical explanation that only someone who truly believes from the experience of what they've done would be able to do. So respect, sir. Truly. Alec, I just mentioned, because uh, obviously it's happening soon, uh, my next two-day certified Haven and yes, please it, do. it is on in Dublin. Uh, beside uh, Dublin Airport, so it's quite easy to fly in if anyone wants to fly in for Europe and the UK. It's on the 25th and 26th of uh, April. Um, I would recommend for people to go to the Certified Havening Training page on my website and look at all the testimonials and reviews from other therapists, hypnotherapists, psychotherapists, counsellors um, who've done the training. And... Yeah, there's also a TV interview there that I did about Havening. So there's some really good information there. And if anyone wants to have a chat with me, they're interested in doing the training, I'm happy to do uh, a 20-minute, uh, if you like, consultation call. Just wow. answer any questions about the training. You can't stay fairer than that, can't you? So. That, and that's the difference between those out there are, uh, in this industry who talk the talk and those who actually walk the walk so i'd take if it, you know if this interests you uh you know and i'm sure there'll be a lot of people watching this it will interest because you will have seen i know i keep mentioning paul mckenna that's purely because he's kind of certainly in england uh the televisual media face of havening um interestingly paul's coming to dublin in june we're running a havening conference in the gresham hotel on O'Connell street 
the doctors are flying over, Dr. Ronald and Stephen Rood, and Paul McCann is coming over. Right. And we're having a full two-day conference, and that's for anyone who's done the two-day Havening practitioner course. So it's more advanced, mm-hmm. uh, specialized areas, maybe looking at chronic pain, how to use Havening uh, with hypnotherapy and NLP, how to integrate it. Like Paul does that uh, quite a bit, the latest neuroscience and research. So it's really two days of the latest advancements in neuroscience and Havening. People jump on board for the April 2020 training with your good self, they'd then be eligible to be able yes. to go to that. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. So um, the link's below, by the way. Just click on that. But before we go, because we've gone slightly over the hour, the question I ask everybody at the end, uh, and it's interesting how we get some quite similar answers, which uh, and then we've had some that are way off the scale. There's no right or wrong. The, the imaginary question is this. Somebody knocks on your door right now, Stephen, and they're stood there with... Um, We'll just say a copy of Dave Alman's green cover or blue cover book, depending on which edition you've got. And they said, Mr. Travers, I've just read this book. I've not attended any live trainings with anyone yet. I've not watched any DVDs, no videos on that. I've literally just read this book. That's all I know so far. But you know what? I think I want to become... I'm going to say mind therapist because it doesn't have to be hypnotherapist, does it? It could be that they decide they want to go down the Havening route. Um, But I want to make sure that I can be the best technical mind therapist I can become. But also, obviously, you know, if I'm going to spend so much time on this, I want to turn it into a business. So I actually want to be able to, you know, pay the bills and stuff. What would your top three tips be to them in terms of moving forward from that point where they've just knocked on your door and said, look, I've read this book. I want to become a therapist. I want to become the most best technical proficient therapist I can so I can get results for my clients, but also I want to, you know, make a business out of this. What were the top three things that jump into your head you tell them? Well, I'd say work in an area or a niche that you or genuinely passionate about. So do what you love, love what you do. Hypnosis Week Bingo, that's one that's come up from literally 95% of people. Nice one. Right, that's key because if you want longevity in this business, especially with all the challenges in any business, you need that passion for it or you just won't last. Yeah. Right? From a practical perspective as well, find a niche or an area that there's actually a market for. So there's no point going into a niche or an area where there's no demand. You might be passionate about it, but there's just little to no demand for it. Um, you want to have a business. So test the measure and do your research and analysis before you pump time and money, be it in the websites and marketing, to make sure there's actually a viable business there. Excellent. I think a lot of people miss that one. Yeah. It's really important. I've seen therapists do it. You know, they might be passionate about it, some area that might be a bit more obscure and then they can't make a business from it um the third one i would i would say train with the best people you can find people who resonate with you who you can connect with and work with clients in practice do the work practice uh, because you need experience uh, to to be effective as a therapist, you need to see clients and work with people to 
get good at what you're doing. So they've been made the main three things. Excellent advice. Um, all of which I completely agree with, as do the majority of guests that have been on Hypnosis Week, because it's interesting to see how, when you get to the essence, the core, the leaders in the field, which I'm fortunate to have been interviewing, there's so many similarities between what, what they say. And that's not a coincidence. It's because clearly that's what actually works. So with that in mind, get yourself over to ftravershypnosis.com. The link's below this video. Go and check out the courses uh, and the videos and all that kind of stuff. Contact Stephen if you want more information. He's very kindly offered that he will indeed speak to you. And thank you once again, Stephen. You've been an absolute star. Thank you very thank much. You, Alice. Thank you for having me. And everyone, we'll see you next week. Uh, well, at the latest, we'll see you next week. But now and again, I do release some during the week as well. But there'll be another edition of Hypnosis Week out quite soon. Bye for now.